Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week, I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, November 11th, 2013. During this week in history, in the year 1900, composer Aaron Copland was born in Brooklyn, New York. Known as the Dean of American Composers, Copland was instrumental in creating an American sound that balanced modern music with folk styles. Happy birthday, Mr. Copland. My name is Jeff Garcia. This is good. How you doing, DJ Grandpa? So how's it going, man? That's a great video you had there, man. I felt like I was watching the cooking channel, man, the Food Network. Thanks, man. That's the first time I've ever done anything like this. My goal, in all honesty, is just to, in all honesty, I, is to raise awareness. I was a corporate chef for a large, huge multinational food distributor. And boy, I was exposed to some interesting things that they put in our food, man. It's just... I'm all about eating as close to the source as possible um, without right. interfering in or adulterating your product in a way there's really, really no need. Some of the products I make are like, you know, this one right here is the uh, the apple spice and everything nice. Right. It's literally pureed apples, pureed pears. Um, I'm using palm sugar. It's organic. It's from Thailand. They, they won't adulterate any of their food. It's flavor that comes from the heart. Give me the sales pitch. I want to hear it. Because you did it so well in the video. Come on, man. You did it so well in the video. I know, but the, the, the thing is, is that's just, that's it's the truth. It's what it is. Okay, well then tell me what it is. Freestyle it for me. We have these huge, huge companies that are able to speak with their money. And their goal is to get products priced so low for them for their cost that they're willing to do whatever to make a profit. Right. That includes poisoning our society. Now, some people may be out there on a little extreme say, oh, it's population control, it's population control. The reality is it's, it's not. The reality is it's corporate America. They want to make a huge profit, the biggest return, because all these people are invested in it. All these shareholders have money in it. I'm not about that. I'm about food and eating what's right for you and what's right for me and what's right for my family. These chemicals that they're growing, I mean, seriously, we're using BT toxin in corn? so that when insects eat it, their stomachs explode, boom! What does that do to us? Well, the truth is we don't know. The truth is we may never know because we're not focused on the cause. We're focused on a cure, and that's a problem in America. Focusing on a cure is not the right way. I'm focusing on a cause, and one of the causes is all the junk and chemicals that they're putting in our foods, high fructose corn syrup. It's on almost every sauce on the shelf but not this. I use natural sweeteners, natural sugars, natural juices, fruit juices, stuff that is abundant. Doesn't that cost you more? Of course. You know what? If it costs you more so that your kid doesn't have gastroenteritis at the age of 30 or doesn't have asthma at the age of 12, if it costs you a little more at the grocery store every day, isn't that worth it? To me, it is. That's true. I don't like taking Tylenol. I don't like taking Advil. When I get a headache, like ginger. I go for food. Food is medicine. But corporate America and, and these medical companies, they don't want you to know that. Because if you know how to cure yourself without going to them to buy their products, well, do you get, get my point? You know, they're not going to make money. They're, they're, their shareholders aren't going to be happy. I get your point. In general, 
it would almost sound like a conspiracy theory. And I don't get into conspiracy theories because I never have any proof. So, and neither have I. But I'm just saying yours sounds a little different than that because you're pitching the natural foods. Wholesome food that's actually good to eat. I'm pitching don't feed your family chemicals just because it sustains their hunger. Your story sounds different because you're offering an alternative or a solution. You're not just saying there's this conspiracy theory, there's this going on, there's that going on, but, but you're also offering an alternative, even though some people might say, but you profit off of this alternative, but somebody's going to profit one way or the other. I mean, it's capitalism. Maybe eventually, uh, God willing, I, I do need to feed my family. Right, true, true. In all reality. The profits are very little. One of, I think, my biggest expenses related to Kickstarter, for instance, is going to be having to actually mail out the product. These guys are heavy. It's a 14 ounce, is 14 ounces in liquid, so there's almost a pound of just, of just sauce in there, not including about a pound of glass. Right. People might question, why glass? Or why not plastic? Yeah, why not plastic? Everybody switched to plastic right about now. I'll tell you what, plastic definitely has its advantages, but there's something about glass that has a feel and there's a quality to glass. Glass has really great seals. You don't have to worry about them puncturing. You don't have to worry about them popping and exploding. Now, you do have to worry about them if they fall. They do break. Right. They do have higher breakage rates. So in that aspect, yeah, it might cost a little more. But it lasts longer. It looks better. It's something I want people to be proud of using. And I believe it reflects the quality of the product that's actually in there. You're right about all that. Beyond everything else, it's fully recyclable. 100% recyclable. You got me on every angle, man. I'm glad I'm not here to argue with you today man i would just have a losing hand the whole way <laughs> you know that would be totally <laughs> we haven't talked about the sauces i mean tell me some flavors what am i missing here the big one that has the big buzzword right now is the sriracha sweet hot sriracha um it's this garlicky vinegary sweet sriracha heat that just it gets you it's it's it starts off taste the, the sweet garlickiness of it and kind of builds and flavor and then all of a sudden the heat kicks in right and it finishes off with this sweet soy flavor and you, it's amazing the depth of flavor that you actually get out of it it goes great on just about anything the way you use sriracha this stuff is a glaze you want to cook with it a little more and that's one of the secrets to all of my sauces really is is they're made to cook with they're made to help improve what you're cooking you want your guests and, and your family to think that hey uh, i'm a gourmet chef look at me <laughs> i know how to use a yeah. pomegranate and pinot noir um the pomegranate pinot noir is actually really popular now you're starting to sound like you're out of some sort of um tv show or soap opera or something people were used to certain <laughs> types of lifestyle man i don't know anything about no pinion wall whatever you know i mean that, that's a foreign word to me man come on it is gourmet i'll tell you what Pinot Noir is just, it's a really good red wine. Right. It can literally be any red wine, but the pomegranate juice, I think, is what really does this one in. It has a really nice... Uh, pomegranate juice is incredible. Yeah. It is. It has a ton of antioxidants and just the flavor is... Oh. Yeah, like, I love pomegranate juice. It blew up a few years back and it's one of those things. It, it's super versatile. I mean, the flavor, I think pomegranates, they say, um, they say there were ivory pomegranates buried with King Solomon. In fact, they believe that in the Garden of Eden, they don't believe there were apples. They, they believe that there were actually pomegranates. Because if you look at a lot of the ancient paintings, ancient drawings and whatnot, there's a crown on the apple. And apples don't have crowns. Okay, I'm not a very sophisticated guy when it comes to food and 
cakes and deluxe stuff and and my co-workers a lot of times when I work with them they they got the message after a while they were like well you this is too frou-frou for you and xyz and I would be like yeah I'm, I'm sorry man I, I can't eat those sophisticated desserts man so I'm not saying I'm like this average guy I'm this beer drinker I'm this whatever I'm just saying I don't know a lot of complicated things as, as far as food and stuff like that. So using what you have would be experimentation to me. And that's not bad because I, I experiment when I'm grilling and stuff like that. Like I said in the video, is sauce really does make your meal your masterpiece. It, it, it always can change it up. You, don't, you can make chicken and rice every day for dinner and have a different meal every night of the week by changing up the sauces you use. The sauce that you use in the rice, the sauce that you use on the chicken. Change it up, make it make it so you wanna desire your food, your own food. Cooking doesn't have to be difficult. It should be really simple. When you have ingredients like this, when you have products like this, it makes it a lot more simple for the everyday at-home cook. Sure, I, I've, got a, I've got a ton of experience. I can make you any kind of bird blanc or bernays or a hollandaise that you want. You know, I told you about those words, man. but that doesn't mean that just because you read it in a book you're going to be able to accomplish it at home right some of those things are really difficult to do and like i said one of the things that makes my sauces what they are is the technique that i put behind them in actually building the flares and building those layers of flavor so that when you use it when you taste it it reflects the way that I built it and the way that I meant it to come off on your palate. I gotta go eat, man. I don't have time to talk to you anymore, man. Ah! <laughs> I gotta go eat, man. I don't have time to Interview talk. Interview over, done. It's done, man. <laughs> For anybody out there, man, on Kickstarter, I can't wait anymore, and I can't sit here talking. I can't talk to Jeff anymore, man, because he's made well, me hungry. Say, let me just say, let me just say, rosemary tangerine on halibut, amazing. Apple spice and everything nice on pork chops to die for. The sriracha glaze, I absolutely love it. I love it, love it, love it on a grilled portobello mushroom and you make that into like a veggie burger. Yeah, yeah, but I'm hungry, man. You pl- you're playing around, man, with my Pump stomach. Pump bar on some lamb chops with some crusted pistachios. Oh, I see how this interview, I've never had an interview like this before. I see how it, we used to do this on NPR. The guests would just keep talking and we would fade <laughs> under and underneath the guests talking, the host would say, you know, I, I'm hungry. <laughs> and, 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 if, and, and if you are hungry like I am, go to kickstarter.com and check Jeff out. Go look for grilling, glazed, naturally flavored, sweet, hot, sorry. I can't pronounce that, sorry. What is he, what is he trying to do? Talk to him about his language, sriracha and more. It's a, a city in Northern Thailand. Oh. And they use that sauce everywhere around there. It's awesome. Okay, okay, okay. So go to kickstarter.com and, and just type in grilling glaze. That's G-R-I-L-L apostrophe in glaze. And it'll come And the up other thing the- you can do, if you want a quick link there, you can also go to www.grubnorthwest.com. Or you could go, like I tell everybody every week after almost every interview, djgrandpa.com and we'll have links yeah, <laughs> hello my name is michelle bear i'm an artist and fashion designer i've wanted to be an artist since i was a little kid and you know around the age of 10 i decided i wanted to get into clothing design michelle you know, always welcome to, to dj grandpa's crib designer.
Thank you for having me. You know a lot of your clothes that I saw in the video, it looks like they're falling off people. Some of my dresses are very, you know, conventional evening pieces, but for the pieces that I, I guess I have a little bit more, say, I guess room to experiment. I kind of like the idea of clothes that look like they are part of the person. Like it's not, they aren't two separate things. They're, I guess, one whole entity. And so like with the bird dress, I use this sheer mesh around her arms. And so I wanted it to look like there's actually feathers coming out of her skin, you know, that kind of style. I, okay. I don't know, I like it. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't like it, I'm just saying. To be honest, I'm not used to fancy things, high fashion, you know, stuff like that. And, and you're uh -huh. kind of in that, I guess, couture type of world or whatever. That's kind of the direction it has gone in. I do consider myself a luxury brand. That's funny for a woman to say that. I do consider myself a luxury brand. Now, that oh. is funny. <laughs> that is funny. Oh. <laughs> I mean, with the whole, with my brand and who I am, it's like, it's almost become one entity too. So it's like, uh, I don't even distinguish them anymore. I mean, right now I look, I'm very, I'm at home right now, so I'm not all dressed up, but my work is in the luxury market. I mean, my dresses, they tend to run from minimum 500 and then upwards of a thousand or more. If I were to cost some of them out, like my, my twig dress, that one after I cost it out because of all the labor, it comes out to about like 23,000. It's really like, it's almost too ridiculous. So I just kind of keep it as an art piece opposed to like try right. and sell it. <laughs> right, right. I guess if and when or when and if you move to LA or you become bigger, your name becomes bigger. I guess you can actually sell pieces like that. And yeah. yeah, yeah, right now. Yeah, right now it's not. <laughs> right. I'm just a 22 year old. So I'm still kind of, I'm trying to build that credibility. I think I understand but is it fair if I would call you a boutique creation? You know, like you create dresses that would go in possibly boutiques, you know, they're, they're like limited editions. They're the things oh. that, you know, like maybe celebrities would wear or if you're going to a very formal event or something like that and you just want to stand out is, could I classify you in that vein? My evening wear, they're all one of a kind as well. Those are a lot more wearable than like dress made of twigs. And I could, I've had some pieces actually go to award ceremonies, right. things like that. So when you talk about twigs and stuff like that, I always think, <laughs> I always think Lady Gaga. I mean, that's the only person I think, uh, you know, that, yeah. that's all. But that's not the, yeah. I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult. But oh, no, no. I, I honestly like kind of think the same thing. Like, I'm, I always like, I'm like, man, who else would wear this? Aside from like all these interesting photo shoots, it's, there's not much else you can do with it besides performance or, you know, some crazy act. So I totally understand. Okay. Now when I'm thinking crazy and I'm thinking young and I'm thinking not established yet, I'm thinking parents must think crazy. Well, my parents have always been really supportive, which is, I'm really fortunate to have, but they, there was a point where they were trying to have me go down a more practical route, like, you know, nursing or right. lawyer, something like that, you know, just, it's a safe practice. And even though I knew that, you know, they just wanted the best for me, I'm really stubborn. So I just like, was like, okay, sure. Like I, I would like let them talk to me and say all, all they wanted to. But in the end, I was the one who was determining where I was going to go. And so... I just kept doing things the way I had wanted to. 
Did you have older parents, so it was maybe it was easier to wear them down? You just had to outlast them. <laughs> um, kind of. They are a little bit older. My dad's, yeah, a little okay, bit. But right. you don't have to <laughs> disclose ages. I just yeah. Trust me, though, they were totally supportive. It was like yes, they, after you yeah. wore them down, you just admitted. No, no, don't no. change the story. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean. When I would draw as a kid, they're always encouraging me. They always gave me more, like all the art stuff I wanted. They just kind of thought it was more of a hobby. I guess that's what it was. Like they didn't want to stop me, but they they just wanted to make sure I had a secure future. But now it's good. It's good. You do know that all children draw and all parents thrust paper and pens <laughs> and pen in front of their well, children. Well, they kept doing. Uh, I don't know. Well. Okay. All right. I mean, I buy a couple of packs of paper a month from Walmart for my kids, and they burn through it. You know, they're still burning through it every month. Okay. <laughs> but um, okay. I watched your video, I say that to everybody. But the thing about your video, the reason I called you or reached out to you was because of your video. It was like, I don't I don't know you or anything. You know, you're not this celebrity yet that I can say, oh my gosh, I love you, you work, <laughs> you know? So it's not yeah. like I know you in that sort of celebrity way, but it was like all the people you had on your video, they were like, oh, Michelle, oh my <laughs> gosh, if you could just know. I mean, she's the sweet, I mean, and her vision, and, and oh my <laughs> gosh, she's really, and I was like, by the time the video was like halfway or, I was like, well, I don't care if this girl is in leaves and this other girl has got branches and stuff. I was like clapping for you, rooting for you. I was like, I want Michelle to make it. Oh my God, I wish she could make it, man. It was like a movie Aww. or something, an inspirational movie. So whomever did your video, you should thank them, man, because that was way cool. Thank you so much for saying that. That's awesome to hear. But um, yeah, I have to thank the cinematographer, Devin Shiro, so much because he's incredible at what he does. And Oh yeah, great cinematography, true. true. Yeah. yeah. He brings out the best in whatever he films and he knows how to, he knows how to tell someone's story or he knows how to, to edit together scenes to that. You know, it really, it just makes you feel like how, I guess, we felt or how he feels. It's like, it's very added. I consider him an artist as well. It's not just, you know, a talent he has. I think he's, he's right. got a real knack for it, so. Right, yeah. so he's kind of like you, like they were talking about in the video. Cause they were like, oh my gosh. I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> They're like, if you don't get her now, you never, oh my gosh, by the time she, a few more people, you'll never be able to talk to her. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> I don't remember that being said in the video. <laughs> I know, but it was, it was pretty much, that's pretty much what they said. I mean, if I, if I spin it all together, that's pretty much what I believe in. You know, that's the impression that I got. Oh my God, if I don't catch it now, I'll never. You know, that's <laughs> uh, okay, I will definitely thank Devin and everyone. No, everyone in that video, they're all amazing as well. I mean, I think everyone in the video deserves their own video too. I mean, I can't. I oh, don't you're know. that big now that everybody deserves their own no! spin-off. No. You just said uh, that, that, that everyone deserves their own spin-off now. <laughs> see, you, I'm catching. But see. for them, for them, not because of me. They, oh my gosh, they're the, the photographers in that video. They they're actually, they've got huge followings. Like, oh my gosh, like Brooke, she has maybe a hundred thousand followers on Facebook. And yeah. Alex, he has like 80,000. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know how people, how people find them. I mean, they're talented. They're amazingly talented, but man, they have a, 
They have an amazing following. That's really cool. I wonder how you got them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was so fortunate because Alex contacted me. I was the fortunate one. I was like, oh my gosh, like he believed in my work. And from there on, it's just, I'm just, I'm the fortunate one. I'm the fortunate one. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm like, this story has got to flip somehow. I was like, Geez. dude, I'm happy for you that you have so many people who who are on the cusp or who've already arrived or whatever and they're pulling you up. I mean, that must be a very cool feeling for someone at your stage, man. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, no, I'm so grateful that just how much they believe in my work. It's like, it, it always amazes me and I, I don't even know how to tell people how grateful I am for all the support and encouragement they've given me. Now, let's say I've joked around, I've ruined all your time, I've ruined your interview and all that. <laughs> What message would you like to get out about yourself that maybe I haven't asked? This is really important to me. It's not just, you know, it's not just some passing fancy. I mean, I honestly feel like what I'm doing now is the culmination of my entire life. I know I'm only 22, but that's, that's still quite a few years. I mean, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> no, it's a, it's it, enough. It's, enu it's, it's a start. Yes. It's a start. But, you know, I've devoted so much time to this. I mean, if you were to ask anyone that's known me, they... They always know what I'm about. It's never been a question of, oh, like, what does Michelle do? It's always like, oh, Michelle's the one who, like, she draws or she's into art or she's the one who's into fashion and all that. And I am very passionate about this. I mean, and I really want to have the opportunity to create more. I don't. I don't really see myself doing anything else. I, I'm kind of like, <laughs> I don't really believe in a plan B and it's a very reckless way of living, I suppose. But at the same time, it's just, I don't know. I believe if you keep pushing yourself and you go with plan A, it's just a matter of time, I guess, you know, when your turn comes, it's just all about continuously pursuing it, putting in the effort, the drive, the passion, all that. And if this Kickstarter succeeds, it would mean so much to me. Like it would, I mean, I know what I would do. I do everything the Kickstarter says I would do, but I, at the same time, I know I would just, it would just feel like, oh my gosh, I'm so much closer, like, to that dream. I mean, I feel like I've been inching my way there, but just this big push. No. It's a bummer that you have to sometimes rely on money to get to where you want to go. But, you know, in this instance, I just need a little help, and I don't know, I can achieve what I've always wanted. I've always what I've always seen for myself, so... I'm happy that you used the word bummer, though. That's cool. <laughs> that lets me know that you're not too far gone. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes, I'm still on Earth. I'm here. Right. <laughs> for anyone out there who's listening, I tried my best to, to get her story across, to sculpt her dream, and I hope that maybe you felt some of that, so... Go to kickstarter.com and check out Art and Fashion by Michelle Hebert. And if you can't find it there, we'll provide links at djgrandpa.com. Michelle, thank you very much. And uh, I wish you the best always. And you and your family, take care. Thank you. You too. I wish you the best as well. I started blogging about living with bipolar disorder in 2011. Back then, I was too scared of the repercussions of the stigma associated with mental illness to be my true self. Uh, I was writing under a pen name, so I was simply known as Bipolar Mom. 
I wrote anonymously until I found what I like to call my brave. Hello, um, Jennifer, DJ Grandpa really here. Hi, how are you? Okay, how are you? Good. This is My Brave is a theater production made up of individuals from the community standing up to share personal essays, original music performances, and poetry based on their experience living with or loving someone who lives with a mental illness. This is My Brave on Kickstarter. I guess you guys are trying to do something courageous there or trying to take something that people really don't want to talk about and actually talk about it. So you're raising money on Kickstarter to promote this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been putting this together or planning this? I came up with the idea in September and found my right-hand woman, a lady named Amory, who is my associate producer. And she and I have been working together since September to put together the Kickstarter, and then we launched it. And it's an effort to raise the money we need to produce the show. So... The money is going towards the theater rental for rehearsal and then also for the show and then also a videographer because we want to bring this to not only the people who can make it, you know, the people who are here in the D.C. area who can make it to the show, but other people have told me, you know, you know, I want to see this happen, but they're out of state and they can't make a trip, which is completely understandable, but um, I want to get it out. So we're going to videotape it and it'll be put on YouTube. So, you know, that's an added expense and the programs for the show and marketing and advertising and so forth. So we decided to use Kickstarter because I, I believe in the platform and it's really a place where people go to support projects they want to see come to life, projects that they believe in, that they're passionate about. And I think a lot of people understand how hard it is to talk about mental illness, but they know that it's also important because the more you talk about it, the more you're able to break down the stigma. If nobody really wants to talk about it, yeah. what type of person are you, Jennifer, that you're going to talk about it? Well, I wanted to talk about it because when it hit me, I was doing really well in my career. I was a recruiter, and I was doing really well, and it just hit me out of nowhere, and it really knocked me down. And I was in the darkest place I've ever been in my life for a year um, until I, you know, got treatment and started to get better. And I just wanted people to know that they're not alone. And, you know, even though I actually don't know anyone in my life who's been through what I've been through, through blogging and writing about it online, I've met so many people just through the power of social media who also have gone through similar experiences to mine. And, and it makes me feel not so alone. I remember from 20 years ago when Hillary Clinton, when she was trying to launch her health care program, I remember that she put up some sort of statistics that said that everyone within their lifetime would have a bout with mental illness at least twice. I believe it. For anyone out there on Kickstarter, check out This Is My Brave. And they are funding right now on Kickstarter. And if you can't find it there, you can always go to djgrandpa.com and we will provide links. Thank you very much for shining a light on something that people don't want to talk about. Thank you for calling me and contacting me about it and showcasing us on your show. I really appreciate it, DJ Grandpa. This is my testimony. This is my praise. This is the receipt for everything that I gave. This is when I was committed, I couldn't behave. This is 
how I recovered. This is how I was saved. This is my testimony. This is my brave. This is the receipt for everything that I gave. This is when I was committed. I couldn't behave. Hey everybody, my name is Layla McCalla and I'm a cellist living in New Orleans, Louisiana. Um, I also play tenor banjo and guitar. Layla McCalla, you're a cellist with the Carolina Chocolate Drops, but you were on Kickstarter to do a solo project. Yeah. That's cool. How long have you been with the Carolina Chocolate Drops? I've been touring with the band for a couple of years now. Congratulations for your success on Kickstarter. Thank you. How important is it that your project on Kickstarter received four times minimum funding? I kind of was like asking for what I thought would be the minimum in hopes that maybe I would double whatever I was asking for, you know? If I had a heart of gold, some folks I know. I got really lucky because Kickstarter featured my project on their newsletter. Oh. And so within a day, you know, I went from being like, who's going to be my 200th supporter to having over 400 supporters. And I ended up having 750 supporters by the end of the run. And so it's just kind of like, it, you know, when you have a Kickstarter campaign, it gets the initial momentum and then you hope it gets another little boost and then at the end it gets another little boost so I got like a huge boost in the middle you know I reached my goal within three days which I was really excited about you know that was like success to me right because I was able to raise four times as much as I was looking to raise I'm going to be able to hire a publicist I'm going to be able to do the booklet with my package with all the translations for the Haitian songs and a lot of my pieces of poetry, I'm going to be able to pay for the publishing rights. I watched your trailer on Kickstarter several times and you have beautiful music, beautiful voice, love your music. And I see how you talk about varied or, you know, different cultures being mixed together and you were just talking about the Haitian translations and all of that. How does right. it feel to be able to mix so many different cultures together artistically? Well, it feels very natural to me. My family is from Haiti, and when I first started this project in particular, I was reading a lot of Vincent Jesus' poetry and writing music to his poems, the poems that I sort of felt a rhythmic connection with. And then I did a little further research, and I read one of his autobiographies. I read both of them, but one of his autobiographies really struck me because it opens and he's in Haiti. And he talks a lot about that experience. And it sort of made me think, well, I wonder what kind of music he might have heard. And I started just looking up different compilations on iTunes and, you know, trying to find recordings, not necessarily from that time, but just of Haitian folk music of the things that I wanted to hear. Because I've learned of the banjo tradition in Haiti, and I visit Haiti and sort of witness that firsthand. And also I live in New Orleans. Right. And the connection between Louisiana and Haiti is a very strong historical one that really has affected U.S. history as well. And it's sort of undertold, if that is even a word. I <laughs> well, I get the point. 
it's not talked about, you know? (laughs) No, I get the point. Either way, either way. Right. And so a lot of these things sort of came together, and it it became this one album. It became this one project. And and so it's a combination of Langston Hughes' voice and my voice through my heritage and my ancestry. Right. So, yeah, it feels very natural to me. That's why you chose Langston Hughes, though. Well, that's partially why I chose Langston Hughes. I also just really loved his poetry. I've been reading his poetry since I was a kid. And when I got older, I realized that there was a lot more meaning to the words. You know, he has a way of saying things in a really sort of straightforward, simple way. Merci, bon Dieu. Have you always lived in New Orleans, or is this a recent thing? No, I'm from New York. I was born in Queens, raised okay. in Lakewood, New Jersey, and I lived in Williamsburg and Fort Greene for many years, and I moved to New Orleans about three years ago. I believe you said in the trailer that it was a life-changing experience, so what have you learned or kind of seen while you've been in New Orleans? Well, when I was in New York, I was teaching with a nonprofit. I was playing a lot of random gigs with singer-songwriters and at weddings. And I went to New Orleans very specifically looking for my creative voice. You know, I was kind of like, okay, I don't feel fulfilled life as a freelance cello player. And I think that it's just a different sort of construct for being a creative person in New York than it is in New Orleans. And when I went to New Orleans, I kind of felt like I uh, felt more free to really be myself and really hear the music that I wanted to hear, and you know, just in my head. Right. And I supported myself when I moved to New Orleans by playing on the street. Actually, that's how I started going to New Orleans. I got invited by these women that I met on the street in New York and they invited me to stay with them for a month and said, come play with us on the street and we'll give you a place to stay and we'll give you a bicycle. And so I had a bicycle with a trailer and I carried my cello around that way and then I progressed, you know, biking with my cello right on my back. And that's kind of how I made my living for a year and that's also how I met the soccer drops. And so it was just kind of like the way of just putting yourself out there and being like, universe, I'm here. Someone, you know, come take me in a way. How do you feel about the chocolate drops? I mean, from a cultural perspective, because I know some people, some people that are African-American are taken aback sometimes when you mention the chocolate drops or when you play their music. And I don't think it should be that way. Do you guys realize that, you know? that you are this kind of... I think we do realize that. I think it's pretty hard to be an all-black string band and not realize that, Okay. at least in America. I think that this band has been able to say a lot of things that a lot of people before us haven't been able to say. Yes. I look at it as a position of privilege to be able to discuss some of the history, a lot of it very painful, of the music and... I think it's astounding that what you're doing now, this day and time, and it being strange, you know? I mean, at one point in time in American history, that wasn't strange. There were black string bands and folk bands and bluegrass bands, and, and there were, you know, what I call these buddy cop records by 
people like Ray Charles and Willie Nelson and, you know, all sorts of people. I think part of what happened was, at one point, the record labels decided, okay, black people play blues and R&B, and, you know, white people play country music. And so that's become a big part of why there is this separate sort of idea about those things with race. And I think that the chocolate drops touches on that. You know, it's mere existence. I mean, when Langston Hughes went on his poetry tour in the 30s, he couldn't even stay in hotels. Yeah. You know, I stay in hotels every night with the chocolate drops. It's a very different world, but a lot of those issues are still like under the surface. Well, what would you like to say to your backers? I would like to say to them, thank you so much for believing in me and believing in this project. You know, I made so many great connections through Kickstarter. I'm so thankful for that. And it's made a lot of things in my life possible, given my career some sort of legitimacy, you know. And so that all feels really good and it's something that's going to feed me for the rest of my life. Layla McCallum with the Carolina Chocolate Drops and doing a solo project on her own called Very Colored Songs, a tribute to Langston Hughes. Their compositions in Haitian as well as English. Layla, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much. My name is Wilbur Skipper Jr., also known as Mr. Self-Empowerment. I come before you today needing your support with a project that I have been working on. That project is my first book titled Life's Constant Struggles to Success. Your video was for a reason. You started to point out certain things in the video that would either help people's lives or if they thought they were going in some sort of circle, if they were going in some sort of rut, signs to look out for, things to reach for, things to maybe somehow change your life slowly. Not Maybe not like all at once because that can be a heart attack at times, right. but build yourself slowly. So could you tell me about any of that information that could help someone who may be looking for help, who may be trying to self-empower themselves. That might be redundant, self-empower themselves. But anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, the first thing I'd like to say is that it is a process, and uh, we all have to go through something. We'll go through something in our lives, and depending on how we handle that something or that situation will determine the outcome. But one of the things that you know, I also like to say is that You know, as you go through the struggles and the storms in your life, because we will have them, you know, all of us at some point, some will be bigger and larger than others, you have to be able to weather that storm. And how do you do that? And so at a very young age, at the age of nine or 10 years of age, I had to decide how I was going to do that at a very young age. Now, granted, I had a mother and a father in the home. My father worked two jobs, worked in the government, had his own business on the side. I had a mom who was a homemaker. So I had the structure at home, which was very important to me, but it was the streets. It was when I left home, you know, how I was going to be consumed or how I was going to be motivated by other people in a negative way. You know, how was I going to deal with that? And so as I look back on that journey, it was important for me to write this book. You know, I had to write about my life and give illustrations and examples about things that happened to me in hopes that that would help some other people. 
because there's people right now that have a story just like mine. As I said that in the video, kids alike. And some of those kids don't have anybody to turn to. Some of the adults don't have anybody to turn to. But right. God, and God is a source that we all need, in my opinion. But you still have those moments where you're out there, and you're sort of like in a jungle, and you're, you're being hunted, as opposed to hunting something else, even though you have your dreams and your goals alive. It's two different things. That's right. You call them dream thieves or something like that? Um, well, I talked about the dream stealers, stealers and the naysayers, okay. the naysayers uh, yeah. which is a, a very powerful group. And their main goal and objective is to deter you and make you not want to put in the hard work that's necessary in order for you to achieve your goals and dreams. And I talk about that very heavily in the book. Nobody's exempt from that. I mean, your family, your friends, your coworkers, people that have been dear to you for years, they're not exempt from that. Anybody at any time can become a dream stealer and they can become a naysayer. And so you have to be able to look at those things from afar before they even happen. So it's two... There's two deeds that I walk with every day in my life, and they started at the age of 10. And I don't know how I was able to put this together, but it came to me right. at a very young age. And the two deeds is distract and dismiss. So when a person asks me, well, Mr. Suffolk Palmer, how do I deal with negativity? How do I deal with negative energy? I said, well, the first thing you need to do is you need to have these two deeds in your holster. As opposed to having a gun, just have these two deeds in your holster. The first thing you want to do is distract the negative energy right. or negativity that people bring to you. You want to do that immediately. That keeps that negative energy and negativity from penetrating you internally. Right. And then you want to dismiss it simultaneously. It just has to happen right away. And once you dismiss it, you will find yourself over a period of practicing uh, this tool, you'll find yourself being able to have a conversation with somebody that's being very negative about you and about other people, but it'll go in one ear and out the other, and you won't retain it. And therefore, if you don't retain it, it does not affect your positive energy, and you can just keep moving forward. Oh, I get you. I think I understand part of that. When you said the dream stealers, right? Mm -hmm. When I was in college, we used to have this, uh, we used to talk about this phenomenon about people who were drainoids. They were from the drain continuum and they were people, you could be in a positive mood and you could be okay. And when they would come around you, somehow it was like they were tapping your energy and stealing your whole vibe. And by the time they walked away, they walked away with like 80% of the energy you had stored up. You know, you thought you were doing okay, but by the time they said whatever or did whatever, you were like bummed out. And that happens often to a lot of people. And just... Just imagine this, that same scenario that you just gave, right. that happening to an individual. And then on top of that, you're dealing with your own personal storm in your life. Yeah, I got And so you. now that 20% of energy now may be reduced to 5%. And right. so when we have a higher power of source, which I believe heavily in, in that, and I believe in God, and right. I believe that it's important for us to have a spiritual relationship with God that's, that's between God. And sometimes you can find yourself so low on the block, that when you go to God, God gives you what you need. He gives you energy, gives you the sources. He gives right. you all the spiritual stuff that you need, but still you, you have to eventually go back out into the elements, and you have to deal with the people. And when you go back out there, if you're not strong enough to endure or to weather those storms, you're going to fall. You wind up being a victim. And one thing about dream stealers and naysayers, they're very clever. They know when to find themselves picking on your most vulnerable moment 
or the most vulnerable time in your life. And right. if you subject yourself to that, you'll fall to being a victim to what they're doing and who knows where you will be. So I take that high road in my life. You know, when people come to me with their problems and they say, well, Skipper, you know, Mr. Self-Empowerment, you know, how would you deal with this, this, that, and the other? I always stay on the high side because it's easy for me to drop down and be on the negative side, but that's not going to help them. You know, usually I make jokes and stuff at times. I can't help it, but I'm tempted to say it's hard to be negative if you call yourself Skipper. <laughs> I'm thinking you got it. I'm and I'm going to take that as a compliment. I'm thinking you got to have a smile on your face if you're calling yourself Skipper, man, Mr. Self-Empowerment. That tripped me out when I when I heard that in the video. I was like, man, I was like, okay, branding, all of that 101. I was like, that's funny, man. I have to give him a call and just let him drop a few jewels on me. Let me see what it's like. Let me hear. Let me get some perspective from his world. So as I was writing, I came up with the title of the book, and I like that. I said, well, the title is something that uh, can be a title forever, because as we all work hard and strive to be the best we can be and shoot for the, all of our goals and try to put our families in a better position to win, we are going to have some struggles. So the title was fitting, so I, I felt real good about that. But then these two chapters came into play, and the first chapter of the book, as we speak, is family. And the second chapter in the book is Believing in God. And so I was torn between which chapter should I put first? Should I put the Believing in God chapter first or should I put the family first? But at the end of the day, I prayed about it, and God led me to make the first chapter family. Because the bloodline is where it should start, and sometimes, even though we think it should start there, it actually ends there. And a lot of times we look for family for support. And this is not all families, but this is a good majority based on the research that I've done. Family will let you down. Even though you're hoping that they step out uh, in front and support you, sometimes you don't get that support. And sometimes you're better off talking about your experiences or something you want to do with a stranger. And a person that's being unbiased, which you're hoping that your family be more supportive, can actually be better for you in some instances in your family. So. I'm really excited about this book. I think that it's going to inspire, empower, and motivate people all over the world. I mean, this book is not just a now book, as I said in the video. This is a book forever, and I think people will be able to draw from this book, use this book as a very resourceful tool to be able to help them in their everyday walk in life. I mean, there's some interesting things in the book. And so I'm just thrilled and excited. I'm very pleased and, and you know, with the efforts that have gone into the book and then to have an opportunity to come on your show and be able to talk to you about it. It's just, I mean, right now I'm, I'm on cloud, uh, cloud 11, 12, whatever the highest cloud is, that's where I am now. So go to kickstarter.com and it's called Life's Constant Struggles to Success. And if you can't find it there, always go to djgrandpa.com where we will provide links to all guests that we have on our show. Mr. Self-Empowerment, Wilbur, Skipper, <laughs> Man, your name just sounds positive. I'm sorry. I, 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 can't, I can't help it, man. I'm trying to, like, figure out something funny, but your name just sounds positive, man. I appreciate that. Um, thank you. That's why over the rainbow of Hi, 
I'm Mike Friedman. As a guy who's written 70 books for major publishers, as well as for comics and TV, I've always loved superheroes, ever since I bought my first comic book at the age of six. Now, Michael Friedman, Friedman. Inspired by That's a nice, strong name, man. I like that. Well, thank you. Friedman is actually uh, based on a German word, Friedu, which means uh, peaceful. Do you live that? Sure. <laughs> when I can. Yeah, I was just wondering, was it a self-fulfilling prophecy? That's all, I guess. Well, you know, I guess I found out probably, I guess it was in first grade. I had a teacher who knew what everybody's name meant. So I found out then. But I, th I think I was probably that way before that. My original name, I guess my birth name means servant of God. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh -huh. Abdullah. Yeah, that's a heavy weight at times. God. <laughs> it's right. Yeah, that's a heavy weight, man. It's a lot to live up to. Yeah, you have lots of conversations with people that you never intended to have, actually. Well, I appreciate it. But remember, the show is never about me. It can never be about me. It's about you and this book of yours, this superhero. I'm being inundated by superheroes, but that must mean it's something positive that all these people want to think of these new superheroes and ways in which they could help save their communities and battle communities across the country and the world. So why don't you tell me about the salamander? I've written superhero novels before, and I've written almost 200 comic books. Wow. But I wanted to do something, wanted to do something that was mine, uniquely suited to me. I started thinking about, you know, what's something I'd want to do? And, I, you know, it, I thought about Batman and I thought about Spider-Man. And I said, you know, they're modeled after kind of creepy, crawly things. Is there a creepy, crawly thing that's left? And that's how I came up with the salamander. What could he do? One thing a salamander can do is see into the ultraviolet range of the spectrum. It's something I'd didn't know about until I did my research. And another thing he can do is detach a body part at will. And what uh, some salamanders do is they detach their tail when they're faced with a predator. And the tail continues to flop around as if of its own volition and distracts the predator while the salamander himself gets away. The most interesting thing I found uh, about salamanders was that there was a Mexican variety that had eggs that inhibited the growth of cancer cells. And I said, that's strange. Why would it do that? And it turns out nobody really knows why it does that, but it does. There's legitimate cancer research going on today into the eggs of this particular salamander. Right. And it's at that point, as I was doing that research, that I said, you know, I started thinking about how my character would get his superpowers. And I realized that he had to be a cancer survivor. Okay, he's a cancer survivor. Okay, salamander, freakish ability. But what would that do? I mean, how does it relate? Because this one particular kind of salamander has this ability to inhibit the growth of cancer cells, the salamander character in my book, he's suffering from cancer. And through a series of circumstances that I really shouldn't give away because that's part of the plot. Oh, okay. He is exposed to the possibility of a cure. But in accepting that, he also inadvertently takes on other characteristics of this particular kind of salamander. And so what he winds up with is uh, salamander-based powers. Okay. It's not really a wish-fulfillment power fantasy like a lot of superheroes. Yeah, what do you mean by that? 
Well, you know, Superman is kind of a wish fulfillment fantasy. What if I could fly? Oh, Batman, what if I were the toughest guy on the block? (laughs) The Hulk, what if I were so strong, nothing could stop me? Yeah. And these are kind of male power fantasies. In this case, my salamander hero, he sees his powers as a problem. You know, I was inspired by um, some scenes in the first Fantastic Four comic, which came out 53 years ago. And when the Fantastic Four first got their powers, they were horrified. The human torch thought he was burning up. He thought he was about to die. And the invisible girl turned invisible and didn't know if she'd ever become visible again. And Ben Grimm turned into a pile of orange rocks. That would depress you. (laughs) That would be a bummer. (laughs) So they were horrified at their powers. And really, when you think about it, that's a natural reaction. In a lot of cases, you would look at your powers and go, oh, my God, I'm a monster. And that's what happens to Tim Cruise, the hero of I Am the Salamander. He looks at his powers and goes, you know, I just survived cancer. Don't I have enough problems? What he really wants to be is normal. And that's the one thing he can never be again. Now, you're telling me about him, 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 him. And I'm thinking superheroes. What about the people? Does he get to save anybody? Does he get to, I mean, do the powers somehow prove themselves valuable? And he sees the word. I I know the answer must be yes, but, (laughs) but does he? The answer is yes. He does save people. In the beginning of the story, he saves a little girl. And uh, later on, he saves a whole bunch of people. And he goes on saving people, which is the upside of his powers and which enables him to deal with what would otherwise be a pretty horrific situation. Right. But nobody knows he's the salamander because the transformation is so profound. People don't know who he is. And so it becomes um, an identity issue. You know, who am I really? You know, one of the things that I want to do with this is inspire kids, not just normal kids who, who can get something out of a book that shows somebody their age rising above his circumstances, rising above his problems, but also, also sick kids. That's one of the inspirations here. That's one of the reasons I want to make this the best book that I've ever written is for those kids. My ambition at some point is to go to a school go to a ward and give out some books and give them a chance to share in in the salamander's adventure. I think at one point in time, you said he could never be normal, normal again. Right. And I'm talking about the picture on Kickstarter. Does that mean he's kind of like freakish looking? I mean, would would he be hideous? Kind of like if we were talking about the fly or something like that? He's about as monstrous as he looks on the cover of the, the book, but he'll never be normal. You know, you and I have public lives and they're demanding, but at some point we can go home and be normal. He can't be normal. He's always either transformed or knowing that he will transform again. He's never going to have that, uh, that luxury of being just another kid. Mm. That's part of his journey. He really has to come to grips with the fact that he will never be normal again. That kind of sounds like David Banner and the Hulk. TV series when he said, you wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Yeah. There are a lot of similarities. I got you. You know, that whole Marvel angst is something I wanted to uh, tap into. For anyone out there, I am the Salamander. 
Seems totally cool. Now, if you go to kickstarter.com and type in I am the cell, Amanda, you're going to get freaked out by that cover because I still think it's a little freakish. And, and I, I do get kind of, sometimes I do get scared a little easily. I don't like to admit that or anything, but it is the truth. And if you can't find it there, go to djgrandpa.com and we'll provide links for Michael and his newest superhero, the Salamander. Dude, thank you for coming on the show. Well, I want to say thank you for, for having me. I really appreciate it. My name is Nathan Tobiasen. This is the Vertical Coin Bank. How's it going there, the Nathan? Not bad. Like those banks of yours. This is called the Vertical Coin Bank. Good name, too, man. Good, strong, simple name. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like there aren't that many coin banks or coin jars that are really eye-catching and unique and work well in a modern home. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of wanted to take coins out from like just a crappy jar and do something cool with them. I made a prototype back in 2009 when I was in college. Yeah. I really didn't have a, an opportunity to make them at a reasonable price until now. The first one I made it was out of metal. Right. And glass. And the glass wasn't strong enough to ship. And right. the metal just took so long. I was on a milling machine making it myself. It took tens of hours just to mill out the slots. And then I left college and I didn't have a shop anymore. Right. <laughs> until this last year. Some CNC tools like a router and a laser cutter really allows me to do small-scale manufacturing myself right? without outsourcing and making it all here in San Diego. To me, it's eye-catching. You were saying the first one was made out of, like, glass and, and metal, and it was, you know, cost-prohibitive and time-consuming. So what's the new one made out of? The new one's made out of uh, wood and plexiglass. Right. Plexiglass lets me laser-cut it out and drill a bunch of holes in it uh, and use spacers. Because uh, even if it's just a foot wide, it still stretches a lot and flexes. So it needs spacers all over because uh, the tolerances are really small. And got to have it be really accurate to not let the dime stack up. Right, the dime stack up. That's what those little things, kind of shiny things are inside of the, like kind of like inside of the glass. Kind of looks like almost like a pinball type of yeah type of knob. There's aluminum bolts. Right. And then between the bolts that are kind of hidden are these wooden spacers that keep it like 80 thousandths of an inch apart. Now, no one can see what we're talking about from our description, so it must be totally boring. But if you did have your Kickstarter page open, you would see that these are pretty cool oblong banks. They're kind of like, to me, maybe up to your chest or so or slightly below, and they're like a picture frame. They're made out of wood, plexiglass, but they hold all these coins. And it's totally cool to see the money stack up. I mean, it's always cool when you see money stack up. But I mean, <laughs> it's functional art. And you drop your money, I guess, in a slot on the top. Am I correct? Correct. Whenever I get in office, I'd love to have one. But anyway, what are people saying to you on Kickstarter, man? They got to be saying something to you, man, because you're doing quite well. Before you called me, you had like no money. So I, I, I am not here for your prosperity. <laughs> yeah, I got really lucky. Uh, Kickstarter featured my project in an email and it had a huge effect. Mm -hmm. The response has been really positive so far. 
most of the questions have been about what kind of coins does it support, and I'm making a, a model for the euro and a model that accepts certain pounds. Other countries' money would be different, though. It would, it, it would, um, it would either stack up different or different sizes. Well, it's just so dependent on the width of the coins. Oh, gotcha. The British pound, the smallest coins are less than half the width of the thickest coins. Right. So I can't support all of those. So I'm just making a model that only works with the one and two pound coins. Right. However, the euro works. So you're going to have an international version? Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> well, you better get the shipping right, man, because shipping rates this year, I think since January, have more than quadrupled. So everybody on Kickstarter is either scrambling shipping rate wise or a lot of people are just dropping shipping rates all together to international companies so i've only quoted them i haven't done them yet so i'm hoping i won't have any really bad surprises it's just a conundrum you're dealing in a product that showcases money and it sucked to actually lose money to ship it yeah it would <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd like to say something negative to you man but i really can't think of anything so <laughs> I'm going to have to keep it positive. Okay, I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to keep it positive. I, I can't think of anything negative. Well, well, okay, where'd you go to school? Could I hold that against you? Where'd you go to school? Uh, I went to Hampshire College. It's a small liberal arts in Massachusetts. Oh, man, I like small liberal arts colleges, so I can't yeah, hold that against good. you. You got a driver's <laughs> license? I do. Oh. And I need one for San Diego. Okay, never mind, man. There's nothing negative I could say about <laughs> you, man. Just keep building, man, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. And for anybody out there who likes stuff that's kind of different, that conversational piece, you know, and you like to stack up your money like everybody else does, go to kickstarter.com and check out the Vertical Bank. And I think you will be impressed, man. He has a super short video, so that's always kind of cool in the time conscious type of everybody's busy type of world so i was kind of shocked by it was only like a minute but it told the story effectively from beginning to end and if you can't find it there go to djgrandpa.com and we'll have links for nathan and his very cool vertical bank dude thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me on i'd like to thank all our guests i'd also like to thank our listeners. Each week, we couldn't do it without you guys. A special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams and to my mentor, The Mumbler, for providing music to DJ Grandpa's Crip. Thanks to Jeffrey Banks, Bertram Zeke, and Zach Samal, our assistant editors. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcasts is AF Rufus. Thank you.